that this will be a blessing and inspiration especially and that that would be the source of our hope going forward right I hope that I have you in suspension already let's just bow our heads and ask the Lord's blessing wonderful Lord in your word you say it is not by might or by power but by my spirit thank you for the very presence of your spirit tonight thank you that we have the confidence that your word tonight will need prepared hearts and may it be fruitful and may it be uh, may it multiply in our hearts for the glorification of your wonderful name is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Before I give you the title, two stories by way of introduction. And I'm really going to try to just use about 20 minutes or so with your indulgence. The first story is of this elderly gentleman, a congregant that comes to the pastor, and these are true stories. And he says, Pastor... I'm very unhappy, I'm very concerned because, you know, these liberals, these liberal theologians, because he was following some academic press on theology, they don't believe in the resurrection. And this old man was very upset by the fact that they don't believe in a physical resurrection of Christ. Similarly to the fact that they don't believe necessarily in a physical virgin birth. But he was very upset by this. And then the pastor started probing. He says, brother, do you believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ? And he said, of course I do. He says, may I ask you one question, please? And that comes to the heart of my theme tonight. He says, do you Where is Jesus now? Where is Jesus now? And this old man had to think very deeply. And the only answer you could give was, he's in heaven. Right? That's story number one. The second story, also similar story, was a bereaved woman. She lost a family member, somebody very dear to her. And she also approached the pastor, probably for consolation or comfort. And I think what he tried to do was to uh, give her comfort from the incident where Jesus uh, raised Lazarus from the dead and where he supported Lazarus's family. And she wasn't entirely happy with that. And then he moved on and he said, yes, but in the new Jerusalem. You know, this and that would happen and you would be, there would be no tears in heaven and that sort of thing. And she turned around, she said, Pastor, I don't want to know what Jesus could do then and what he's going to do one day for me. Where is Jesus now? Okay. It sounds like a deceptively simple question. A question that my little granddaughter Kaylee would ask me in a moment where she catches me off balance, when she, that she often does. 
Uh, she would call me Opie, Grandpa. Grandpa, where is Jesus now? So I want to just deal with this subject a little bit tonight. This pastor then distilled the moral of the story. He said, you know what? Maybe in all our teaching over the years, we emphasized the resurrection of Christ. But we never gave good account of the resurrected Christ. There's a difference. The resurrection as a truth, a beacon of the salvation program, as opposed to the resurrected Christ. Where is Jesus now? Stay with me. <laughs> Where is Jesus now? In order to address this problem, we need to go to the ascension story. Now, may I ask, when last have you heard a message on the ascension? You know, when I grew up, when I was very small still, Ascension Day was a public holiday. Not only, therefore, on the Christian calendar, but also on the public calendar of Western countries. And it disappeared without any resistance, even from the side of Christianity. Why? Because, you know what? The reason I'm asking why is because it is immensely more important than the birth of Christ. It is immensely more important than whatever happened around Easter, Easter Friday and Easter Sunday. Maybe it's because it's not so easily, it's not so colorful, and it's not so easily commercialable, of making it a commercial thing. But it's sad to think that Ascension Day and the associated day of Pentecost just disappeared from calendars. And these things are very, very important. Where is Jesus now? The Ascension story. Let's quickly go to Acts 1, please. I'm not going to read long passages. I'm just going to here and there just point you to a couple of very important scriptures. Acts 1.9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. What does neoliberalism say? If I can't see it, it does not exist. If I can't see it, it does not exist. The Bible says... A cloud took him out of sight for them, and that was the end of the story. There were different views in Christianity on ascension. The first view was, ah, no, it's not a literal happening. You must spiritualize it, like the virgin birth. It didn't really happen. Another Christ, Christian view was, Maybe it's not that important. Can I tell you why it's important? It was exactly halfway through Christ's entire ministry. Listen to me carefully. The incarnation of Christ, which, which was the inception of his ministry, didn't come to an end when he ascended. 
It was the second half of the game. Doug Barrow said, maybe we look too quickly away after the resurrection. It's like a man watching until half time, and then he packs up and leaves. And he says, oh, I've seen it all. I know the score. How can you know the score half time? Christ is in heaven at the moment because there is a continuing incarnation. Listen to me carefully. He took flesh upon himself at his incarnation. He didn't dispossess himself of flesh when he ascended to heaven. And where he is tonight, he's sitting in heaven with a human body. He is continuing his ministry that he started on earth as the high priest, the king and the prophet, but bodily in heaven. And let me tell you, if Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 50 and further to 53, that if it wasn't for the resurrection, our gospel would be in vain, he should actually have added, and anything after the resurrection. If Christ was not exalted, if Christ was not glorified, you and I would not have had God the Holy Spirit tonight. The parakletos, the one that keeps us until that day, we would not have had him personally as our advocate, as our intercessor in heaven. So the ascension, uh, I cannot overemphasize the importance of the ascension. Man, um, there's a continuing incarnation. Christ sits bodily in heaven. I want to say it in, a different in different words. Christ came and he sanctified and he beneficiated and he glorified humanity by taking it into heaven. By taking it into heaven. In a certain sense, we can say that humanity penetrated the Trinity. That's how important it is. We've got a human priest, a human intercessor, sitting at the right hand of God, at the throne of God, for you and me tonight. Right. How was this event interpreted? <laughs> the interpretation was Christ is absent. A picture of abandonment. An unseen Jesus is now an unreal Jesus. And the church history shows this. Throughout all the ages, the church, not the true church, I'm not talking about the real body of Christ, but the church, the nominal church, they showed in their behavior the fact that they believe Christ is absent. He's gone. He left us alone. How did the church deal with this absence? 
How did he deal with the absence? I must just watch my clock. They found substitutes for Christ. Roman Catholicism substituted the church for Christ. For them it was not an, an upward ascension, it was a sideways ascension. Christ descended, according to them, right into the Catholic Church with all the monstrosities that happened as a result of that. The evangelicals and the reformists substituted the Bible for Christ. Yes, the church, the Bible are wonderful gifts, but they cannot take the place of the giver. <laughs> but thank God, Paul and John, the two apostles, realized and teaches, teach us tonight, the only substitute for Jesus is Jesus himself. And now you will understand why I say, where is Jesus now? They say the only substitute for Jesus, the so-called absent Jesus, is Jesus himself having to come back. Christ had to re-enter our world. He had to come and re-inhabit our world. Christ had to be present here again. Christ had to give himself again. And that is why I like to talk about two incarnations. When the second person in the Trinity, Jesus Christ, became flesh, that was the first incarnation. But when the third person in the Trinity came and inhabited flesh again, that was another incarnation. And in fact, in fact, if you read scriptures very closely, it's a deeper study than what we can do now. Is it was actually Jesus Christ himself coming back in a different manifestation. There he sits in a bodily manifestation and down here the very real Saint Jesus sits in his spiritual manifestation. He's here. He's here. Okay. I just want to now expand on that little bit and then, uh, you know, we will get our landing. Where is Jesus now? So his going away actually meant he just moved again from the seen realm into the unseen realm. For God, it's nothing. John 4, 17 says, God is spirit. In essence, God is spirit. He can manifest himself in body as he wishes. He's a sovereign God. But in essence, God is the principal spirit of the universe. All right? So, where is Jesus now? First of all, he's in heaven. He's bodily in heaven. He's now back in the unseen realm where he had been for centuries and aeons before the initial incarnation. He was spirit. In the Old Testament, the shadow redeemer in the spirit. And then he moved into the flesh 
All that happened at the ascension is he moved himself back. He became again a resident in the first place of the unseen realm. But unseen doesn't mean unreal. <laughs> That's what's very important. Right, bodily. What type of body does he have now? In heaven. Why do I say he's in heaven? Act 7, Stephen saw him when he was stoned. We know that he ascended to the right hand of the Father, but when Stephen got stoned, he actually saw him standing in an honorary gesture, we presume. So he saw him in heaven. Now, but he came there with a specific body. First of all, his body is incorruptible now. When he arose from the dead, his body was now clothed in incorruptibility. And that was a very special body. May I remind you that that body could appear behind closed doors. That body could again walk on water. Defied all the physical uh, laws in our realm, our domain of time and space and gravity. That body, though, was so wonderful and so marvelous that at some stage he had to convince them it's not a ghost. He said, come, bring me fish and honeycomb. Let me show you. I am he. I am real. I am really on Christ. I'm God. So in the first, first instance, incorruptible body. As a pattern for us, because at the last trumpet, we will also be clothed. In incorruptibility. Okay, right. That's what's going to happen. Secondly, that body is glorified. What happened? What happened just after the ascension? A few things happened. Christ arrived there. He, there was a welcoming feast for him. He was crowned Lord of Lords for the first time. He's lording now, and that in heaven, he sits there as the head of the church and the head of the world. And. Then what happened is he had an interview with the Father, reminding the Father of the gift of the Holy Spirit that was promised to Christ's followers before the foundation of the world. And then the Father granted his wish, gave him the Holy Spirit, and he poured it out on all flesh on the day of Pentecost for them and their children and all of them that come thereafter. But that pouring out on Pentecost was actually him coming back again, himself. Why? 2 Corinthians 3, 17 says, the Lord is the Spirit. The Lord is the Spirit. So what does the fact that it's incorruptible and glorified mean and the fact that God is essentially Spirit? It means, it means that Jesus today, if you ask me where is Jesus now, he's omnipresent. Again now, as previously, he's omnipresent. So if for no other reason you can expect Jesus to be with us tonight, because of his omnipresence, he's here. And he's a reality. He's a reality. Good. All right, I'm not going to read that, but you can read Psalm 139, verse 7 to 10, that speaks to the omnipresence of God, of Christ. It starts with, whither shall I go? asks David, from thy spirit. From thy spirit. There's no way to hide. Secondly, so where is Jesus now? He's in heaven. And I painted you the picture of what it looks like there and what he is like there. Secondly, 
Jesus is in you. Only two conditions. You have to be the new creature in Christ. Nicodemus, you have to be born again. You have to have had the rebirth experience. And you have to have the spirit of Jesus in your life. If you have those two qualifications, if you in the spirit, if you're a spirit-filled, reborn Christian, Jesus lives in you. Wherever you go, there Jesus is. And if you can't say that about yourself, if you cannot with so much confidence introspect, look at the brother next to you. If he's a, a son of God, you know that that is the distance that you're away from Jesus now. And may we understand and may we really comprehend that. How does it work? Where, does, where do we find it? Let's just look at one, John 14. Just page there quickly. A few verses that I'm just going to read. I'm not going to have commentary on all of them. Right. John 14, 17, 20, and 23. 17. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Why? Because it seeth him not. No, no seeing, no reality. A real Thomas Thomas attitude. Neither knoweth him, but ye know him. Listen to this. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. After the day of Pentecost, he shall be in you. At that day, the 20th verse, ye shall know, listen to this, that I am in my Father. Here's the pattern. And ye in me, and I in you. 23rd verse. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Christ living in us. Christ living in us. So, Christ in you. Paul calls this the greatest mystery of all ages. Colossians 1.27, quickly. This is actually the key verse for me. Colossians 1.27. Let's read one, uh, 26 as well. Even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. Listen to this. To whom God would make known what is the riches, listen to the language, of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's where our inspiration lies. That's where our hope lies. Christ in us. And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Galatians 2.20. I'm not going to read that. It just says, and we sing it often. It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ liveth in me. 
Where is Jesus now? He's in me. He's in me. He's in you. He's in you. There's no absent Christ. There's no distance. He's in us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 calls us the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. There was a very good song that we sang when I was a, a youngster, you know, in church. <laughs> I knew nothing but church, <laughs> okay? <laughs> so <laughs> I can't tell you about other songs and stuff, but this one I know. We, we sang a song that said, I have the life of Christ in me. Listen what, to what we have in us. I have the life, and the theology of this song was very good. I have the life of God. I can show you the scriptures, 1 John. It's full of it. I have a spirit. That's what the song says. I have the mind of Christ. 1 John. I live from the mind of Christ. Peter says, I have his nature. If I'm the new creature, and I am his body. Ephesians says, the very flesh and bones of Christ are you and me. And in Ephesians 1, he talks of us as the body of Christ. So wherever we really gather together individually, we are the body of Christ. Collectively, even better. We are the body of Christ whenever we get together. Right. I have his life, his spirit, his mind, his nature, and therefore his ability. Whatever I do is not in my ability. It's in his ability. Right. I'm almost through. The last one. Where is Jesus now? Jesus is in heaven, bodily. He is omni, I think that's the right expression, omnipresent. Okay. Thirdly, is indwelling in you and me. And fourthly, it comes naturally and it's very applicable to us tonight. Matthew uh, 18. Matthew uh, 18, I think, verse 20. Which says, where two or three gather in my name. <laughs> where two or three gather in my name. My own paraphrasing. There. I am also. So when you kneel down to pray tonight, you know where Jesus is. You know the fullness of the story. He's our intercessor. I forgot to say where he sits at the right hand of the Father. He sits there in the capacity of Colossians 2 verse 9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead. You and I are participants in that. It is so wonderful. It's so wonderful. I'm through. Where two or three are gathered, he's there also. He inhabits our praises. Brother Paul, when you conduct the singing so well, he inhabits our praises. He inhabits our worship. He inhabits our praise. He inhabits the celebration of our, of our sacraments. That's where he is. We must just let him always be welcome. Right. I close. Where is Jesus now? Can I say he's not absent? 
He lives within my heart. We sing that song, I serve a risen Savior. I wish we could say, I serve an exalted Savior, because that's more than the risen Savior. That was the problem. Not only him rising from the dead, but being exalted for us. The indwelling Jesus, listen to this, is a greater reality than the historical Jesus. You know how I can demonstrate that? They say you only need to read the stories of the first century and second century Christian martyrs. The only explanation that, uh, only plausible explanation that anybody could offer for why they were so heroic in the face of what they suffered was that the Christ in them revealed himself to them. They didn't see, they didn't experience what happened around them. They experienced the fellowship of the indwelling Jesus and his Holy Spirit. That's what it, why it's a reality. Yes, we ask them. And then the last scripture I would have mentioned to you was Matthew 28, 20. He gives the great command and he says, and lo, I am with you always. That he says, go unto the uttermost ends of the world, not heaven, not the atmosphere, not space of the earth, and I will be there. I'll be with you. May you draw comfort tonight. May you draw strength and inspiration from this. May God bless you richly. And when we pray, let's pray with more confidence, more boldness because of the Christ in us. Bless the Lord. Thank you, Brother Paul.